Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. You know, it, it is really good to be a man where the world is your urinal and you can have some guys over uh, watching a game with you with minimal verbal interaction and you never have to wonder, I wonder if they're mad at me. Uh, just great to be with guys. And I want you to know that um, as we get together, uh, sometimes in church environments, the idea seems to be we get guys together, we're going to beat them up. You know, we're going to bludgeon them for a while. And I just want you to know that is not our goal at all tonight. We're not going to do that. We really want to look more closely at what our job description is as husbands. We want to look at the husband's responsibility for oneness. Now, I can't speak for all of you, but I think many of us, I grew up with three sisters. I had three daughters. Obviously, I have a wife. I had a mother. But sometimes it just seems understanding the way God put a woman together can be difficult. It can be puzzling, right? And I want you to look at a classic clip from the movie Shenandoah. And you have a young man who is getting ready to ask Jimmy Stewart for his daughter's hand in marriage and just check this out. It's no easy job, Sam, taking care of a woman. No, sir. Mm -hmm. They expect things they never ask for. And when they don't get them, they ask you why. Sometimes they don't ask. And they just go ahead and punish you for not doing something you didn't know you were supposed to do in the first place. What, for instance, sir? Well, that's a very difficult question to answer, Sam. You're never quite sure. It's just <laughs> that it's sort of, you might say, relative. Relative to what, sir? To how they're feeling at the moment. And how's that? You never know. <laughs> I don't believe I really understand what you're trying to tell me, sir. I know, I know. I never understood it myself. I never understood it. It's just one of those things, Sam. It's around, and you just don't ever see it. Now, I suppose, suppose Jenny started to cry one day. You don't know what she's crying about, so you ask her why. Do you follow me, Sam? Yes, sir. You ask her, and she won't tell you. And that's when you ask her what it was you did that caused her to cry. <laughs> she still won't tell you. And that's when you start to get angry. But don't get angry, Sam. She won't tell you why she's crying because she doesn't know. Women are like that, Sam. And it's exasperating. It's... it's mm -hmm. But don't let it make you angry. No. When she gets like that, just walk up and hug her a little bit. Because that's all they really want when they're like that, Sam. 
Little loving. You understand me, don't you? No, sir. <laughs> oh, I love that clip. It so catches the essence of understanding our wives. You know, um, we may not really be able in and of ourselves to have a perspective about all this, but that's why we're so excited that we have the Word of God and we have God's perspective. And He invented marriage, and so we can learn about it from Him. If you've got your notes, and hopefully you have a pen, uh, notice it says, a husband is responsible to accept God's design for marriage. And I want you to know, as we go through this material, I'm calling us all up, and I'm including myself. Uh, every time I have an opportunity to present these things, there's certain points that make me wince a little bit, like, I've forgotten that, I've lost sight of that. So we're all going to be learning. Notice letter A says that God has designed a divine order of responsibility in marriage. You know, when there is no order, what do you have? You have chaos, you have confusion, and God doesn't want us to be confused. So here's the divine order. Number one, God has designated the husband as the head of the relationship. And some of you are thinking, I've been trying to tell her that for years. And it is right out of the scriptures, right? In Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. And, and you know, one thing we learn very quickly is the Bible is not into political correctness at all. It makes a very clear statement about the divine order. The husband is designated as the head of the relationship. And number two, God has given the wife to the husband to be his helper in the relationship. Back to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, I want you to look at those two words we filled in the blanks with, the number one and two, head and helper. Look at them for a moment. Those are two of the most misunderstood, misinterpreted, and misconstrued terms in the Bible. We need to talk about it for a few moments. You know, when people learn or husbands learn that God's divine order is that the husband is to be the head, they often think something along this line, you know, I am the head, I am the head, you know, woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo, I am the head. And we don't really understand what that means to be the head. You know, we think, many people think, it means, well, I'm going to give the orders and she's going to jump. It means that I get to have my way in the relationship. Somehow it might mean I'm superior in some way. Many of you know that's not what it means. Uh, one of the key things to understanding the idea of being a head is that it is a position of responsibility. Remember, Christ is the head of the church. A synonym that I like to use, and you could write it over the word head, is the word responsible. Responsible. As husbands, we are to have a Harry S. Truman mindset. Remember, Harry S. Truman was one of our presidents, and one of the things that distinguished his presidency, he has a little nameplate on his desk that said, the buck stops here. And that is the perspective we need to have as husbands, that we are responsible we are the first person to be responsible for our marriage relationship. And that's why we've been assigned that key leadership role. You remember what happened back in the very, very beginning? We go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, and God had given some directions to Adam and Eve. And remember, they both partook of the fruit, 
And then they began to try to cover themselves and they tried to hide from the Lord, which is amazing. They were hiding themselves from the Lord. You remember what God does when that happened. He comes and he says, Adam, where are you? He goes straight for Adam. Why? Because in that first marriage relationship, God had designated Adam as the head. He was responsible. It's not superiority, it's accountability. And uh, I've often said this, and this wouldn't happen because Christ, when he comes back the second time, is going to do so in incredible glory. But if he were to come back, and let's say he was going to work his way through the marriages of Wildwood Community Church, I am certain that the way he would do that is he would call me in, and then he would call you in, and then he would call you in and say, how are things going in that relationship? Because we are the head, because we are responsible. We are to be the leader. If you want to put it this way, we're the designated driver of the marriage relationship. It doesn't mean we're superior in some way, but God has designated us to be the one who is leading and responsible and accountable. So guys, as husbands, we're very much like the Blues Brothers. We're on a mission from God in our marriage relationship. So the first term is that term, head. The second term is the term, helper. And what is really interesting to me is how we often look at that word, helper, as some sort of a low term. You know, that doesn't really mean very much. I have over here something that all of you have seen, and it's called a plumber's what? Helper. Exactly. And so this is a plumber's helper. And some of us think of our wives like this. Well, you know, you just put this in places you don't want to go. You know, this thing does jobs that you don't want to do. This is a plumber's helper. Sometimes we perceive the idea that a helper is the one who gets all the dirty work. The helper is the one who's assigned the menial jobs. The helper is the one who just follows the other around and follows orders. But that's not the biblical term for helper. When it says our wife is our helper. The idea in, in Scripture is that a helper is the one who gives spiritual and physical help to somebody who is in need. And the direct implication for me and for you is if we need a helper, we need help. And that's part of God's plan. Actually, this word helper is a very high classy and holy term in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is used of every member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All of them, exact same words, are described as our helpers. Why? Because we need help. We need help. And God has designed the idea of in a marriage him bringing a woman alongside of us to compensate for our clear neediness. They help to balance us out, help us to become a better man. We also want to remember, letter B says, that God has designed the husband and the wife to be interdependent. Interdependent is the word that goes in there, I-N-T-E-R, dependent. 
Notice it says in 1 Corinthians 11, 11, However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Now, I want you to think about the way the, sexu- the uh, secular culture thinks. Pretty s- sexual culture also, but just think of the way the, the culture thinks in the secular way. Because basically what the culture tells young people today, you need to remain independent when you go into marriage. That way, if something turns sour, if something goes downhill and you have to split up, you can go your separate ways because you're both independent. You know, there's some people who say you ought to have completely different financial accounts and everything ought to be separated, all in anticipation that you're going to fall apart. But God says, no, we're to be interdependent with one another. And when you're interdependent, it's kind of like that idea of being glued to your spouse we talked about the other night, that when you go your separate ways, it sort of tears things apart because we are designed to be, as husband and wife, interdependent. Now, if we're interdependent, let her see God has designed the husband and the wife with equal value, with equal value. How many guys enjoy basketball? Or played basketball, all right? A number of us fit into that category. Let me ask you a question. What's more important on a basketball team, the point guard or the shooting guard? Well, they're both important. How can you say one's more important than the other? You know, one sort of starts the offense moving, and the other one does a lot of the scoring. Um, It's the same way in a marriage relationship. We have equal value, just like a point guard and a shooting guard have. You've got to have one of each that's fairly well qualified. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to look at that verse for a second. I mean, just, just look at it, kind of zero in on it, and remember that that, gentlemen, was a radical statement when Paul made it. A radical statement. Aristotle the philosopher, said this, the female is afflicted with natural defectiveness. I've got a dare for you. Go home and tell your bride, we learn that the female is afflicted with natural defectiveness. See how that one flies. That's what Aristotle said. That's what his belief system was. Roman law basically said of women, they are overly emotional, they're unstable, they're unreliable as a witness in court. You probably have heard that rabbinical teaching, Jewish rabbinical teaching, included a prayer that said, I thank God I'm not a woman. This is a radical, radical statement that Paul makes that we have equal value. Equal value but different functions. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to make a little okay sign with your hand, all right? Hold it up. What I want you to do is with both of your eyes open, I want you to pick out one of these lights up here and just put that light right in the center of the O in your fingers. All right, now keeping that there, just sort of cover each eye in an alternating fashion. And what you're going to find out is that you have a lead eye. In my case, my right eye is my lead eye. These are equal in value, 
but one of them is the lead eye. And that's why as husbands, we're called by God to be the one who takes the lead, to be the head. The synonym for head is the word, begins with an R. Let me hear it. Responsible, exactly. And here's what's interesting about this. Over the centuries, this idea of leadership and headship, taking the lead, taking the responsibility, has tended to, to mutate in one of two directions. Either it becomes a husband being dominating. By the way, if you look at much of human history and even much of the world today, that is where men who are married are. They're dominating. The other mutation that it tends to swing into is passivity. And that's exactly where Adam was, by the way. Because if you go back and read the story in, in Genesis, you know it was Eve who first saw the fruit and she decided to take it and eat it. And then it says, and she gave it to her husband, Adam, who was with her. He was standing there the whole time. You know, God had told him what the restrictions and what the directions were. But what did he do? He, he didn't play the head. He didn't take the responsibility. He went passive. And I think that's a, a thing we all need to be really checking ourselves on in our own spirits and in our own marriages. You know, you have the idea of being the head and being responsible and being the leader. Could it be that I'm mutating at times over here into the dominating realm? Or... Could it be that I'm mutating into the passivity realm where I'm just not leading? This is why D is so, so, so vital. We've reminded you of this several times, but God has provided the husband and the wife with the power to fulfill his design through dependence upon his spirit. We're not called to crank this out, but it's a dependent lifestyle that we have on the spirit of God who resides inside of us when we know Jesus Christ personally. I want you to look at letter E, because this is really an awesome concept, a really, truly awesome concept. Notice letter E says that God has designed the husband and wife relationship to be a living picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. Do you ever think about that? I mean, that is, that's astonishing. That's just astonishing. That my relationship with my wife was designed by the Creator God to be a picture of Christ and the church. Now, there are two cornerstones in our responsibility that we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about. The first cornerstone in our responsibility as a leader is to love like the Savior. The second one we're going to look at is to lead like a servant. So that's what we're going to learn we're to love like a savior and we're to lead like a servant. All right, let's start off by looking at the call to love like the savior. Book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 25. Familiar verses to many of us. Husbands, love your wives just as, you might underline those two words, Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I will remind you, many of you are aware that these verses, this verse is, comes out of a section of 12 verses in Ephesians 5 that address a husband and a wife. 
during this very session we're having right now, my wife is up there in the worship center talking about the three verses in that section that are addressed to wives. And she's going to be pointing out that part of their responsibility and call from God as a wife is to line up under our leadership. That's what they're hearing up there right now. And so it's very important that we understand that we need to pay attention to the other nine verses in this whole section. Guidelines to help us become worthy of her submitting to our leadership. So this is quite an assignment, guys. But I, I like to say this. Remember, God designed you to handle it. He designed me to handle it. So we are to love like the Savior. How do we love like Christ loved the church? How do we do that? I'm a practical guy. I like to know the hows. Well, letter A, love is seeking God's best for our spouse. Is that not what Christ did for the church? Sure. He sought God's best for the church, and so we're to seek God's best for our spouse. Now, again, again, this is why I, I want to know, how do we do that? It sounds ooh, so spiritual up there. But how do we do it? Well, we've got five principles for you. Number one, love is based on an act of the will, not passing feelings. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now, I want you to think about that. That verse here says, Husbands, love your wives. Do you know that that is a command? God gives a command to you and to me to love our wives. If it was easy and natural... <laughs> no reason to give a command to do it. And I want to be just real as guys here because sometimes, you know, we come together as guys and, and uh, we talk about loving our wives and some of us are thinking, you know what, uh, I don't really feel a lot of love for her right now. Um, how, how can I love her when I don't really feel like loving her? You know, what if, what if we're in a dry season in our relationship and I just don't really feel like I'm in love with her? Well, let me ask you a question. Did you ever wake up and not feel like getting up and going to work? Anyone ever had that scenario? Yeah, we've all experienced that. Though we may not feel like getting up and going to work, what do we do? We make a decision to get up and go to work. And that's really the core of what love is all about. Love is a decision based on an act of the will. Let me share an insider secret with you, if you don't mind. You can just jot this in your notes. Those who do loving things have loving feelings. Those who do loving things have loving feelings. Again, let me ask you this question. Do you ever not feel like exercising? Anyone ever been there? You don't feel like exercising, but you decide as an act of your will, I'm going to do it. And pretty soon what happens? You're glad that you did. It feels good to exercise. Those who do loving things have loving feelings. And if the feeling seems to be gone between you and your spouse or really highly diminished, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down three things that you would do if you really felt in love with her. 
write down three things you would do if you felt in love with her and then do them. Do them. Those who do loving things have loving feelings. There's a, a second principle when it comes to seeking God's best for our spouse, and that is that love is sacrificial action and not good intentions. Sacrificial action. I mean, that's what Christ did, right? He, his, his work for us and for the church was an expression of sacrificial action. And, and I want you to write in your notes near this point, number two, love is sacrificial action. I'm going to give you some extra, extra things to do, to talk about. Ways you can do sacrificial action towards your wife. First one, listen to her. Listen to her. You honor her worth as a person when we listen to her, when she feels esteem. That really means, guys, we need to talk when she wants to talk. And that can be hard. I had one friend of mine who, who learned, he said, I learned this, there's three magic words for my wife. She loves to hear them. Tell me more. You know what I'm talking about? She wants to talk about stuff, and you've heard, you know, just about enough words for today, and we want to just find a way to worm out of it. Learn to use the magic words. Tell me more. Tell me more. Elaborate more. Listen to her. The first way we can sacrifice. Second way, spend time with her. Spend time with her. Carve out some time to do what she wants to do. That may mean going, I know this is really heretical, going shopping with her. Going shopping with her. You know, I, I remember the year that uh, OU uh, was in the Sweet 16. And uh, I couldn't wait for that game to come on the two. Man, I was so pumped and so excited about it. And my wife came to me and she said, you know, I laid some things aside at JCPenney and I'd like to run over there and like try them on and have you look at them and tell me what you think, you know. And I'm like, sweetheart, sweet 16, you know. And so I'm watching through the first half and, you know, it gets to be 7.30 and the Lord's just doing one of those, you know, little reminder numbers on me. And so I said, ah, let's go ahead and go. You know, we'll go, we'll go over to JCPenney and try these clothes on. We go over there, tried on way too many things. We're the last people out of JCPenney at 9.15. Now, I, of course, I did record the game so I could watch the second half later. But that was some sacrifice. I was spending time with her doing something she wants to do when really I didn't want to be there. You know, it was interesting when you uh, work with an organization like Family Life, there's a lot of different individuals there, and there's kind of a level of accountability just being part of that team. And uh, one particular weekend, we had our daughter Jennifer with us. We brought all of our kids along at different times the weekend to remembers. And uh, one, of my, one of my buddies was sitting there with my family, so it's Janet and Jennifer and me. And he turns to Jennifer, and he says... What do you appreciate about your dad? 
Now, you know, that's a fascinating question for someone to ask one of your kids. And uh, I was just fascinated to see what would come out of her mouth and actually a little nervous about what might come out of her mouth. Here's what she said. My dad likes to shop with us and give us his opinion on the clothes we try on. And he doesn't whine when he does it. I thought, yeah, a little bit of success there. How many of us absolutely relish that opportunity to sit there for a long period of time and while they're trying on all kinds of things, sometimes going back to them three? No, but it's sacrifice. It's sacrifice. Do the little things. Do the little things for her. That might mean that we clean the bathroom. It might mean that we load the dishwasher. It might mean that we help dress the kids. It might mean that we change the diapers. It might mean that we give her a night out. I'll watch everybody. You go have a fun night with some of your friends. Maybe it means we just come home on time. Maybe it means that we buy flowers and a card and when it's not Valentine's Day or not her birthday. What does your wife hate to do? What does she hate to do? My wife hates ironing. Wouldn't it communicate some sacrifice if, if we went to our wife with something that she hates? We don't make a big deal out of it, but we just simply say, for the next month, I'm taking that. I'm doing that. You get a month off. I'll do it. By the way, if we talk about doing little things with your wife, a word of caution, if you haven't been doing sacrificial little things, before, if you start doing them, it may come as a little bit of a surprise, a little bit of shock. There may be a little bit of like, what's really going on here? I mean, after all, if it hasn't rained for a while, right, the ground is kind of hard. And it takes a little while for the drops to sink in. Tony Campolo tells the story of a man who decided he wanted to express love to his wife in sacrificial action. And so he was thinking about what he could do. And he was thinking about his daily routine as he came home from work. He would normally come home from work, and he worked in a factory. He was pretty dirty and smelly when he would come home. His normal way that he would come home is he would come home in the garage door. He would simply come in. He would go to the refrigerator, grab an ice-cold drink in his sweaty clothes, plop down in the easy chair, pop on the tube. He said, you know what, I think I'm going to do it differently. I want to do some sacrificial action on my wife's part. So he said, I'm going to do it different. So this particular day, he decides I'm going to do it completely differently. He goes by the exercise club. He's got a change of clothes, does a shower, little extra cologne, you know, changes it into fresh clothes. He goes and buys his wife some flowers, buys her a special card, And then he gets to the house, and he says, rather than coming in, you know, the side door, I'm coming in the front door. He rings the doorbell. His wife comes to the door, opens the door. He opens, she opens up the door, and he's there. He holds out the flowers. He holds out the card, and he says, I love you, honey. And she immediately starts to sob uncontrollably. She's sobbing uncontrollably, and he says, what in the world is going on? What's the matter? What's the matter? What's been happening? I mean, why are you weeping? And she said, well, you just, you know, you don't know the cut. It's been a horribly tough day. 
I mean, oh, incredibly tough. I mean, Bobby fell and fractured his arm at school, and I had to spend a good chunk of the day at the hospital. And then, you know, your mom called, and she just announced, she just told me she's coming to visit us for two whole weeks. And not only that, I was trying to wash the clothes, and it suddenly just went haywire, sprung a huge leak. It leaked all over the laundry room and the kitchen, and now you come home drunk. <laughs> So, all I'm saying to you is if you start doing some of these little sacrificial actions, just remember it may take a little bit of adjustment on her part to believe you're really doing it. Notice letter three says, love is given in obedience to Christ, not in response to our spouse's performance. You know, Christ's actions were Christ's actions based on the church's performance. Were they? Come on. Just give me a little feedback. At least shake your heads, okay? So I know you're, you're not asleep out there. Yeah, no, not at all. And so our response shouldn't be based on her performance. Look at number four. Love is expressed verbally and in actions. Many of you have heard about the prof, Howard Hendricks at Dallas Seminary, a great guy. And he talked about how he was out one time teaching on the family and this... Um, wife said, you know what? My husband has not said, I love you to me in 15 years. 15 years. And so Howard was really curious, you know, so he went and looked up the husband and said, you know, your wife said, he, you haven't said I love you for 15 years. And here was his response. Hey, I told her when we were married, and it's still in effect until I revoke it. Well, that doesn't work for, with women at all, does it? We need to express love verbally and in actions. And uh, men, are, are, or women rather, are like love banks, and we need to make deposits on a regular basis by what we say and do. And we also can be making withdrawals from that love bank by what we fail to say and do, because that's what this guy was doing. He was making withdrawals out of her love bank because he wasn't saying and communicating, I love you. Number five, love involves self-denial, self-denial. I've shared this definition of love before. This is the biblical definition of love. It's a commitment of my will to your needs and best interest regardless of the cost. You might want to jot that down. When we think we're loving our wives effectively, it's a commitment of my will to your needs and best interests regardless of the, cost, or of, of the cost. That's what Christ did for us. It was a commitment of his will to our need and best interest regardless of what it cost him. Let me ask you, love involves self-denial. What is the first thing you do when you come home? Do you... Grab the mail. Do you head for the fridge? Do you get on the internet? Do you turn on the TV? Do you jump onto the Xbox? Love involves self-denial. And so rather than doing some of those things we're prone to do because we get into these routines, maybe we just go to our wife and we offer to help. If she's cooking supper or we cook supper or offer to help with caring for the kids, 
Uh, Self-denial involves like late at night and she wants to T-A-L-K. She wants to talk and so we talk. Maybe it means we get up earlier to help assist her with the children at times. We have a little note there. Remember, when you love your wife sacrificially, you model the relationship between Christ and the church. And here comes two phrases, to your family and to the world. Men, do we realize you have children, you're modeling marriage to them. What does it mean to be a husband? I'm watching dad. What does it mean to be a wife? I'm watching mom. What does it mean to be married? How you interact. I'm watching mom and dad interact. We model a relationship between Christ and the church to our family and to the world. There's neighbors watching. There's family watching. Notice letter B says, love's goal is the building up and enrichment of a wife. Ephesians 5, again, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. I mean, we take care of our bodies. We do that naturally almost. You know, if we're hungry, we say, go over there, get something to eat because we're taking care of ourselves. And we need to care with our wives the same way we tend to focus on our own needs. Number one expands this a little bit. It says, A husband's love should nourish his wife by encouraging, enabling her to grow and to develop her gifts and abilities. Literally, that word nourish means to build up. You know, the most successful people in all of the world bring the best out of the people that they work with. That's a measure of success. And so a successful husband should be bringing the best out of his wife. And so we need to pause every once in a while. I know life is busy. We're buzzing around doing all these things. We got games, you got coaching, you got this, you got that, you got church activities. All this stuff is happening. But we need to stop every once in a while and say, what are the what are the gifts and abilities that my wife has? What are her real strong strengths? What are her dreams? Here's a question I believe. Remember I talked about this idea of Jesus came around, you know, he would probably sit down with me and want to know how things are going in my marriage relationship. I think this is one of the questions that he would ask. How has Janet developed under your leadership? That's a good question to ponder. I think he wants, God wants us to give back a better woman than he gave to us at the altar. It's part of the plan. Number two, a husband's love should cherish his wife by responding to her needs as a valued gift from God. You husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be roadblocked. That's what that word means. So it says here that our wife is a weaker vessel. Now, if she is weaker, what are we? We are weak, okay? We are weak. She is weaker. Now, now certainly that would include physical strength. 
I mean, we all know that. Just as males, we have more physical strength. But it also, I think, entails not just physical strength, but there is a, a fragileness and emotionality to a woman that is very different. You know, harsh words can very easily crush her heart. You know, years ago, um, I did so much coaching of so many things, I tell you, you know, it was wild. And at one point here at Wildwood, we had a women's basketball team, and, and nobody wanted to coach them. So, you know, I'll go ahead and coach you. And if you've ever been on a, on a team like that, you know kind of the way things go. And I, I was on a lot of different basketball teams, you know, and, and I, I can remember, you know, when something was going haywire out on the court, you know, maybe we were playing. We did a lot of church league stuff, and you're playing these churches. These are churches, church guys out on the floor, you know, and some of them were nasty, and they were swearing and pushing and doing all kinds of stuff. You know, we'd get in a huddle, you know, and we would be talking as guys, you know, yeah, I can't believe those jerks are doing that. And you, some people say, what, you know, why don't you guard your man? I mean, come on, dude, stay on that guy, you know, and stuff like that. So I'm coaching this girls' basketball team, and we were playing another church here in town, which will remain unnamed. And uh, that team was one of the dirtiest girls' basketball teams I've ever seen. I mean, they were foul, and they were banging, and our girls were getting ticked off. And, you know, they were really getting mad out there on the court. And the refs weren't really keeping control of the game the way they should have been. So, you know, I call timeout, timeout, timeout. You know, and I get the girls all in this little huddle around here, and I said, now look, gals, I realize these are a bunch of jerks we're playing the way they're playing, and the refs aren't really calling the game, but we've got to remember that some team has to represent Christ, and so let's do that out on the court. Let's represent him while we go out there. Well, so we go out on the court, we, we play the rest of the game, it just continued on, they pushed our girls, they fouled our girls, and, our, and our girl, several of our girls lost it. Absolutely lost it. Now, we could have had the same environment with a guy's team, and afterwards, you need to kind of do the little, little huddle afterwards, and we could have just said, you know, man, and we all have been saying, we, I can't believe we lost our tempers, and we got mad, we shouldn't have done that, 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 that didn't honor the Lord at all. But I get a group of girls around in a huddle, and I look at them, and there's just tears running down every one of their cheeks. You know, I was going to say to him, I can't believe we got caught up in all of that. I didn't have to say a word. They're all crying out there because there was this, this, this fragileness, this special emotionality that a woman has. And um, we need to cherish our wife and recognize that they, they're not only less physically strong than us in terms of brute strength, but there's just a fragileness, a tenderness to them. And we need to give the, them the freedom to be different from us. You know, sometimes as guys, we, it's like, why aren't you like me? <laughs> well, because God didn't make her like me. We need to give them the freedom to be different from us. We need to give them the freedom to make mistakes. We need to give them the freedom to be vulnerable, to cry. You know, when a bunch of guys wouldn't be crying without chastising them. You know, uh, I was speaking with a, a couple not too long ago, and um, the wife, you know, held up a flashlight like this, you know, and 
And the idea was, you know what, you know what a battery does for this is it lights it up, right? Right? What a battery does. And, and she said this to her husband, and, and he now says, I've learned this. She said, if you want to light my heart up, you need to remember AAA. So I want you to think about this. You can write down AAA, like a AAA battery. If you want to light my heart up as a woman, remember AAA. The first A stands for attention. Giving her some attention, having some interest in what she's interested in. That can be hard. You know, I'll tell you, my wife is interested in some things I really don't care a whole lot about. But I, I try to remember AAA. I want to give her some attention. And she has some interest, and I want to show some interest in what she's interested in. Second A in AAA is appreciation. Expressing some gratitude. We express gratitude to her. It will light her heart up. And then the third A, you have attention. Showing some interest in what she's interested in. Appreciation. And then the third A in AAA is affection. And what we mean by that is non-sexual touch. We have a lady in this church. I can remember being in my office upstairs with her and her husband. And, you know, we were trying to get transparent about some things that were going on in their marriage relationship. And she just turned to him and she said, you never touch me except for when you want to have sex. And it was true. Well, if you want to light up her heart, a little affection, a little non-sexual touching, putting her hand on her shoulder, holding her hand, giving her a kiss on the cheek when there's not an ulterior motive to it. We're to cherish our wife. Well, how can we do that a little bit better? Well, notice letter A says, a wife feels cherished when her husband communicates with her. And guys, we need to realize that as men and women, we tend to be on different frequencies, as guys, we tend to be on what I call AM frequency, and that is analytical mode. Women tend to communicate on the FM frequency, that is on the feeling mode. And generally speaking, men and women look at communication differently. We look at communication generally as guys as an exchange of information. Women look at communication as connection. So if we even say to her, well, what did you do all day today? We're kind of just looking for, for some information. And when we get a little bit of information, we're happy. But when, when we, we ask that question, what she's really looking for is some connection. She wants to feel like we're hearing what she says and we're connecting with it. You know, so rather than saying, well, what was your day like all day, or what did you do all day today, and then she tells you, and then you go, oh, that's interesting. You know, just say something like this, like, well, how did that really make you feel? You know, or that really sounds like that was hard. Man, that must have been tough. See, you're, you're, you're on the FM frequency when you're doing that. It's, a, it's more connection rather than just information. I like to call the difference also report talk versus rapport talk. Very, very different thing. We tend to, to do the report talk. She's looking for rapport talk. So we need to listen to her. She feels cherished when we communicate with her. 
And so what that may mean, guys, just practically, it may mean that you actually have to schedule a time. Maybe it's just two or three times a week where you, where you say, I don't know what it might be, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for, for at least 10 minutes, we're going to sit down and talk after the kids go down. Or maybe you schedule another time during the week and you say, I just want to hear about your day. Go, go. I'm all ears. Or maybe you, you ask her, what can I do to make your life easier, to make your life more enjoyable? I, I, I like this one. What, what has it been like to be you this last week? What has it been like to be you? And then you just you listen. You go on FM mode for a while. Another way we can cherish our wife is a wife feels cherished when there is romance in the relationship. And all of us are, are fairly romantically impaired, but we know a little bit about how to be romantic. Here's a good question to ask yourself, especially if you've been married for a while. Could another man steal my wife away by being romantic towards her? Yeah, you say, well, maybe I need to up that level again. I need to stir that back up in my life. And we need to make sure that we understand what's romantic to her. Many of you have heard a book about the book, The Five Love Languages. How many people have ever heard of the book, The Five Love Languages? So about half of us, or maybe a little more than half of us, you know that there's five love languages. You communicate love through one of five different ways. One is physical touch. That's that non-sexual type touch. One is words of affirmation, where you're affirming someone. Another one is quality time that you spend with them. Another one would be gifts that are given. And then a fifth one is acts of service. So you've got physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, and acts of service. Now your wife hears love through usually one or two of those languages, which would be your wife. You ought to be able to just go boom, boom, I know what they are. Now yours are probably going to be different. Janet and I aren't the same. But we need to know what would be romantic to her. You know, I have another one of my friends and, and uh, his wife's number one runaway language is acts of service. She senses love when there's acts of service being done to her. And so that means when her husband is doing some of those odd jobs around the house, she just really feels love. And one day she actually said this to him, you know what? When you put on your tool belt, it turns me on. And you know, for the next week, every day, the tool belt was, you know, snapped on. And so, what's romantic to her? Understand, physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, or acts of service. Let her see, a wife feels cherished when her husband is trustworthy. That's what goes in the blank. When we're trustworthy about what we say, that there's no deception involved. And you say, well, certainly no husband at Wildwood would ever be deceptive with his wife. I've been here 37 years. Yeah. She feels cherished when we're trustworthy. When we're trustworthy as it relates to other women. You know, we're walking with her out at the mall at the time we're going to go shopping with her and everything. You know what most of our wives are doing is they're watching our eyes. My wife does this to me all the time here in the church. You know, we have some attractive wives and some attractive women here. And I've learned that if I just do one of these numbers, you know, even here at church, and my wife is there, 
I will keep turning and, and she's looking right at me. So she's seeing how trustworthy I am, even as the pastor of the church. She feels cherished when her husband is trustworthy. Guys, I want to talk about an uncomfortable subject for a moment. And that is pornography. I mean, my goodness, guys, we live in an age, I can't even believe it. What is available to us and it's just hanging there. And you know what? It's important that we understand something about pornography. Do you know, I'll just tell you right now, and again, I'm a little bit older and I know this to be a fact. Pornography will never spice up your relationship. It will only poison it. You watch enough pornography and your wife will never measure up. Here's the way I view pornography. I, I, I view it as moral Drano. You know, that's a drain cleaner. It's like you're chugging some of that Drano down. It's toxic waste for your sex life. Here's the key word I, I like to use with it. Deceptive. Deceptive. It's not reality, guys. I mean, you, you, you know, in a lot of pornography, women are portrayed as all they think about every day is sex. And the, the picture seems to be everybody's on the make. They're always looking to make it with somebody. That's a sexual mirage that has been created. And we watch that stuff and you start to make false comparisons. And by the way, Pornography is also a, a breeding ground for degradation and damage. You know, almost a quarter of pornographic films have a woman being assaulted and enjoying it. About 70% of pornography, I don't know if you know this or not, statistically, ends up in the hands of children and youth. For many of us here, if we took the time to ask, maybe something our father was watching or something, this our first exposure to pornography. You know what Satan wants, guys? He wants to introduce pornography to your kids. What are we doing messing with it? You know, God designed sex, Proverbs 5, verse 19. Let your wife's breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated, which is a Hebrew word for being drunk, with her love. Proverbs 5, 19. Verses 3 and 4 says, The lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but the result is as bitter as poison and as sharp as a two-edged sword. We've got to be careful about this, guys. You know, and I had a son. We had all of our computers, and they're still that way, and our house are in a public place. We have no computers that were in some place where someone else couldn't see what was on it. And that's important, guys. You know what's interesting? We all heard stories. We all know guys that have fallen in this area, uh, fallen into some kind of sexual sin. And you know what? Here's what's interesting about that. We tend to fall the way that we're leaning. 
We start leaning into this, and we're just setting ourselves up. It doesn't take much when you're leaning over to get, there you go. So again, I'm not asking for anybody's hands, but I will say this. If you've been dealing with this and you're having trouble with pornography, you need to get some spiritual assistance. And I want everybody to write these things down. I want every guy writing this down, right? Here's where you can get online some spiritual assistance. PureLifeMinistries.org. PureLifeMinistries.org. Now, everybody write it down because even if you're not struggling, you've got a buddy who is. Another one you can write down, XXXChurch.com. XXXChurch.com. And then another thing you can do is, is have a filter on your computer. One of the better ones is CovenantEyes.com. It actually monitors everywhere you go and then will send a report to some select friends that you give. Get some spiritual assistance, please. Go to someone who's spiritually mature and just say, you know what, I'm just kind of tied up in this and I don't want to be. Help me walk away from it. So get some spiritual assistance and let the Holy Spirit empower you. See, what happens is we keep these secret little rooms and we don't want the Spirit of God to be in there. And if this is one of those for you, just open it up and let the Spirit come in there and clean it up. Letter D, a wife feels cherished when her husband makes her load lighter, not heavier. So we ask her the question, how can I lighten your load? You know, guys, that to many women, debt is a heavy, heavy weight. Heavy debt is a very unloving thing to do to our family. Letter E, a wife feels cherished when her husband prays with her and sets a godly example. And a lot of guys look at that and go, man, how do you do that? I mean, you know, I'm, not, I'm not Bruce, you know, I'm not Mark. I can't do these fabulous prayers. Well, you just have, you don't have to do a lot. Just at the start of your day, just make a short prayer. God, we're here again. <laughs> New day. We need you to walk with us. Short prayer at the end of the day. Thanks for everything you did today, God. Give us some rest. When her husband prays with her and sets a godly example. It's not that hard to do it, even with a Bible. Take, get a version like the New Living Translation, the New Living Translation, with your wife sometime, and just say, well, we're going to go through, you know, the book of Philippians, and we're going to read a verse and just say, what, what does this mean for us? Just have a little discussion. Those kind of things, just a wife feels cherished. And notice it says, number three, a husband's love should be expressed as he seeks to more fully understand his wife. And that's the First Peter 3, 7 passage again. Well, look, letter A, a wife feels understood. When does a wife feel understood? When her husband consults and prays with her in making key decisions. She feels understood when we ask her and we pray about it. Letter B, a wife feels understood when her husband considers her needs, her values, her preferences. I'm going to be blunt, guys. If you constantly trump your wife, you're going to shut her heart down. Shut her heart down. A wife feels understood when her husband listens without trying to fix her problems. So the first cornerstone responsibility that we have is to love like the Savior. The second one we want to look at pretty quickly here is we're to lead like a servant. Letter A, leadership in a marriage is based on divine placement, not superior abilities. We talked about that earlier. 
You know, God said to me, Bruce, you're the designated driver. So lead. Let it be. Leadership in marriage is based on Christ's example, not society's example. Remember, it says the ruler of the Gentiles lorded over them. But it's not to be so among you. Whoever wishes to become great, even great husbands, among you shall be your servant. And then we have this key set of verses from Philippians. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. One of the books that I really like, guys, you know, on, on really marriage is called Rock and the Rolls. It's written by Robert Lewis and William Hendricks. And uh, one of the things he has in this book, uh, it's on page 72, 73, 25 ways to be a servant leader with your, your spouse. You know, if you don't, if you don't know, like, how do I do this? Here's, he's got 25 ways right here in this book, Rocking the Rolls by Lewis and Hendricks, that will help us. Letter C, leadership includes providing for the material needs of your family. We're familiar with this passage from 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Number one. A husband is to care for the needs of his family, especially those of his own household. And I think it's important to make our wife a priority. Through most of our married life, we've had two cars, and my wife has always had the newest one. That's been by design. Now, right now, that's not true. I happen to be driving a 2012, and she's driving a 2009, but I'm looking for another vehicle for her. And that's part of... I want to communicate to her. Tell her that. I want you to have the nicest one. The husband may need to get more personally involved or sharpen his skills as a money manager. We, you know, that's part of that leadership thing, minimizing debt and, and helping to see we get a budget going. A husband should be willing to sacrifice to allow his wife flexibility in meeting the needs of the home. I mean, guys, our culture puts a lot of pressure on wives because, you know, you're to be the wife, you're to be the mom, you're to have the job. Um, and, and, and especially when those kids are small, we need to make sure we're not robbing her of that precious window of opportunity if it's all possible to be with those kids. And I would just say this, never sacrifice your kids for stuff, guys. Don't ever do that. Letter D, leadership involves taking the initiative in meeting needs. Anybody know in the United States of America the number one complaint of wives regarding their husband? Anyone know what it is? Remember I, I talked about the two dominating and then passive? That's the number one complaint in America. My husband's just passive. Leadership involves taking the initiative. Do you know, how many guys, I want real honest hands up here, how many guys just really appreciate their wife nagging them about something. Let me see the hands of the guys that appreciate. No, of course not. But here's what's interesting. We actually can control the nagging. Because part of the reason why they nag is we're not taking the initiative. And so the best way to avoid nagging is to do what she would desire us to do and to do it quickly. Leadership involves taking the initiative. 
And, and again, involve her in, in being a leader. Involve her in the process. Remember, we're better together. Anybody remember when Pilate was getting ready, after Jesus had been arrested, and uh, he was coming before Pilate for trial? Does anyone remember what Pilate's wife said to him? Somebody said it. She said, have nothing to do with that righteous man. A leader should know, hey, we're better together. And we listen to that. Hey, listen, take the initiative in meeting the needs. Here, if you really would like to do something, go do this. Go to your wife after this session is over and say, would you rate our relationship from 1 to 10? And then you tell me what it would take to get it to like two numbers higher. And by the way, if you're really big dogs, oh, if you're really big dogs, I'm talking if you're really a big dog, you get this book, Rockin' the Rolls, and you go to this section, which is called Common Head Space Aches, Common Headaches that Happen in Marriage, five of them, Irresponsible Headship, Emotionally Detached Headship, Dictatorial Headship, Workaholic Headship, and uh, Spiritually Apathetic Headship. Have her read through those and say, hey, do you see... See any of those in me? Ooh, wow. That'd be some big dog action. Notice leadership involves providing for your wife's spiritual needs. He leads his wife spiritually through selfless service, by modeling godly character, by initiating time together in God's word, by regularly praying with her. And notice it says, by word of some caution, abdicating or abusing your responsibilities as a husband to love, lead, and care for your wife is taken seriously by God. I mean, the truth is God's watching, guys. Malachi chapter 2, the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, but not one has done, who has done so has a remnant of the Spirit, take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. Why do you think he had to say that? Because it was happening. We make a note here, a husband's never called to force his wife to follow his leadership. Rather, he's challenged to earn, circle that word, this response by being a man of integrity, compassion, and competence. Remember, a leader is a lover and a lover is a leader. By the way, if you have to demand and that she follow your leadership, we got flawed leadership. So the question is, will you seek oneness with your wife by accepting his design for marriage, by loving your wife sacrificially, by accepting responsibility to lead, by providing spiritual leadership in your marriage? By the way, guys, some of us are thinking, you know what? I've really kind of fallen down on this one, at least recently. And you're thinking, you may be getting like, gee, Wyman's, I've really messed up. Just because you're behind at halftime doesn't mean the game is over. Anyone watch a Super Bowl recently? 28 to 3? Halftime? Maybe you feel like that's what it is. You're 28 to 3, you're down. Hey, the game isn't over yet. 
As you seek to understand your wife and attempt to meet her needs in loving ways, you'll be able to lead with credibility and integrity, and she will feel cared for and highly esteemed. Remember, God has designed a husband and a wife to fulfill their roles and responsibilities through dependence on the Holy Spirit and His Word. That is a tall order, gentlemen, and our only hope is to plug into God's power. Now, I want you to see another, another little video. It comes from the Art of Marriage series. And as we've covered all this, I think you might enjoy this one, so check it out. us in just a few minutes. Are you men ready? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are you men ready? Yes, yes, sir. Right. I know some of you are wondering why we run over these plays over and over and over again. You've been thinking, we've got it, coach, but we're about to find out exactly what you've got. Those people out there, they think you're just grooms. That's it. Just grooms. What are you? What are you? Husbands! Yeah. The only question is, what kind of husbands are you? You're about to find that out. Wilson! Yes, coach. It's 6.30. Your wife is coming home from work. She's tired. You're tired. She's grumpy, and there's no food in the refrigerator. What do you do? Live with understanding, sir. Right. Reynolds! <laughs> Your wife, she's worn out and she's discouraged. She's lacking confidence. What do you do? I love her, coach. I, I cherish. Yes, and? And I nourish. You bet you do. Keith! Yes, coach. Settle down now, Keith. It's the middle <laughs> of the night and you hear a noise. I protect her, coach. Okay, Keith. But what if your mother pulls you aside and she mm, makes some suggestions on things that your wife could be doing better? What about that, Keith? I, uh, well, I, Jefferson. You gotta protect your wife, coach, even if it's from your sharp-tongued mother. Keith? <laughs> Got it, coach. I protect her. You bet you do. Men, listen up. When you're out there, you're not going to have time to think. You need to know what to do and to get it done. But, Coach, sometimes I get confused. Donnelly? Are you whining? Not really. It's just Donnelly, that... this is marriage. There is no whining in marriage. Is there whining in marriage? No, no sir. sir. Is there whining in marriage? No, no sir. sir. What do we do? Love and lead. What do we do? Love and lead. Time, coach. Okay, man. What's the game plan? Love and lead. Again. Love and lead. Again. Love and lead. Again. they do just fine.
So what's the game plan? Love and lead, exactly. I want you to notice we do have an application project that you have, and your wife has one that's very similar. There's an individual section that you are to fill out, and then you have an interaction element after you do the individual section. So remember, guys, we're taking the lead to make sure this gets done. Hopefully you can do it tonight or tomorrow night. Sunday night is the deadline. Make sure you get that project done. Where do, what's the game plan again? I'm sorry, I forgot what it was. Love and lead, exactly. Here you have a handout for you on the stool in the back you can grab. It's called 50 Ways to Inspire Your Wife. We want you to walk out of here with some ammo tonight, all right? See you next week. We're going to talk about what it means to be a father. See you then. L is for the way you look at me. O is for the...